Well, it's my uh, privilege to be introducing a uh, new preaching series. So um, it's uh, 27 days till Christmas today. Did you know that? Some of you are getting worried now because you, you haven't prepared very well yet. So 27 days to go. And uh, I, we think you can't quite start early enough to start preparing your heart for Christmas, not just your house, uh, not just your gifts, but actually celebrating the most important uh, celebration uh, in, in, in the um, uh, Christian calendar. Um, Christmas, together with Easter, form the two bookmarks of the main celebrations of Jesus' life. So uh, we, uh, we're going to be launching into a four-week preaching series. We're just going to pause Acts uh, for a, f- a few weeks doing that uh, to lead up to Christmas. And we're going to be looking at a surprising Christmas. Uh, today we're going to be looking at a surprising plan. Now the question is, when do you start your preparations for Christmas? What's nice and early and what's too early? Um, when do you get your Christmas jumper out? Or when do you start doing your Christmas shopping? When do you start decorating your tree and your house? It's a tough question, isn't it? Why don't you turn to the person next to you and uh, just give us your opinion about what you think is uh, nice and early and what you think is too early. You okay? Yeah? Just turn to the person next to you and you can share your philosophy about when you think we should be starting Christmas. Right, have you solved it? Have you solved it? Um, it's, it's tricky, isn't it? For some people, um, the 27th of December is not too early to start preparing for Christmas the following year. For some people, Christmas Day really is like the moment you want to be starting because like, that, that's when the holiday starts for you. Uh, and uh, there's all sorts of uh, philosophies on it. Um, I mean, I would say the Dutch have really solved it. You wouldn't be surprised to hear that, would you? Because um, we do St. Nicholas on the 5th of December. And it's absolute sin to start Christmas preparations before you celebrate St. Nicholas. So you can't start before the 5th of December. But obviously, after the celebrations are over, you want the next thing to look forward to. So the 6th of December is the date that you start preparing for Christmas. Nice and easy, isn't it? You don't celebrate St. Nicholas, so that doesn't solve your problem. Um, But it's solved in our house. Although, my daughter thought it would be perfect timing to have your Christmas jumpers on before that. And uh, we're still debating whether that's correct or not. But um, we thought we'd start early this year. We start preparing our preaching series because we want to make sure that our hearts are ready for Christmas, not just our calendars and uh, our our trees and decorations. Uh, And uh, it's very important in this season not to get sidetracked by all of that. It's so easy in the midst of a season of the shops opening up and make invites for families to start to lose sight of what Christmas really is all about. And uh, today we're going to be looking at a surprising plan, uh, a surprising plan for Christmas. And we're going to be looking at the first chapter of each of the Gospels. Um, I don't know about you, but have you ever been uh, guilty of starting the first chapter of a book and then never finish it? Yeah? You can confess. Honestly, yeah, I've done that. There's too many books on my bookshelf that I have started reading but haven't really gotten past the first chapter. Well, today we're going to be looking at the first chapter of each of the Gospels to look at what we can learn about God's surprising plan. And hopefully that will inspire you to read all of the Gospels. But even if you didn't, I think that will give you so much already uh, to get started with. It will surprise you. Um, and uh, we're going to be going at fast pace through the first chapters of the gospel. So you want to have your uh, Bible ready. If you're at home and you're watching this, you can get your Bible ready. You can read along with us. We're going to be starting with the uh, first chapter of John. And we can see 
that the preparations for Christmas start surprisingly early, before the beginning of time. John 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made, and without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. You see, the star that shines when uh, the birth of Jesus was announced was only a small reflection of the origin of light itself that was created right at the start of the universe when God spoke and light came into being. It was the word that he spoke that was Jesus himself. Jesus was the word by everything was created. He was. And he was right at the the start of creation, at the heart of God's plan. He was the light of the world. And even when God's plan seemed to be hijacked by sin and death coming into the world through the disobedience of Adam and Eve, God's redemption plan was already there. Jesus. We can read about it in the early chapters of Genesis. It says Genesis 3 verse 15. It says, And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. And he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Right from the early days, God had given a promise that redemption was on its way and that redemption would be Jesus. But it starts rather surprising. It doesn't start um, with a very strategic plan. It was not an ordinary plan. It was a surprising plan. Some would say a surprisingly small plan, a surprisingly fragile plan, perhaps a surprisingly inefficient plan because God's plan started with a family. Now I wonder, if you were trying to solve the problems of the world, COVID, um, uh, global warming, where would you start? You'd probably get all the the top thinkers of the world together, some sort of brain tank. Um, You would start to do fundraising, try and get as much money poured into this as you can, and you'd come up with a strategic plan on how to tackle this, wouldn't you? You wouldn't start with a family. Family is surprisingly inefficient, surprisingly slow. All you would need to do is come and join us for a Sunday morning, the vertical breakfast, to try and get our girls out the door, and you will discover how surprisingly inefficient a family is. It probably takes about 45 minutes to get all the girls out in the car, and I think that's just after breakfast. So when you would start to solve problems, you would not go for a family, and yet God seemed not to be in a hurry. He's not looking to be fast or efficient, but he's patient and determined. We can read about that in Matthew chapter one. So why don't you come to me to Matthew chapter one. Matthew chapter one verse one starts with the genealogy of Jesus. And it says the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham, and Abram was the father of Isaac. And then we get this really long list of all the names. It's usually the boring bit that you just skip over to get to the good part, isn't it? But surprisingly, within that list, there's a lot of things that we can learn. So first of all, we can read that it started with a family that started with Abram. Abram and Sarah. And Abram and Sarah are not the power couple you hoped them to be. You think, wow, these would be people that are going to solve the problems of the world. They're old. 
They're barren. And God promises them a child. And for 25 years, that plan seemed doomed from the start because nothing happens. No child, they're just getting older. And then they try to create some solutions to their problem and they just create lots of mess. And then there's more mess. And then all of a sudden, we can see a miracle child, Isaac. But Isaac, again, does not seem to be the power uh, man to solve all the problems because the problems just continue to multiply. There's mess, there's more mess, and when we go through the whole storyline, the whole family line, we can just see that mess continues to develop. Now, normally, if you were to uh, uh, kind of publish a family line, you would kind of get all the important people mentioned in that family line, wouldn't you? And the genealogy that Matthew mentions does not mention all the important people. It also mentions all the family scandals. And you think Matthew probably could have brushed things up a little bit, couldn't he? Just like skip the black sheep of the family. Um, There's women mentioned in the family line, which normally were not included in those days. And these women were not included because they were royalty or surprisingly efficient leaders. These are more scandals. We've got um, the family scandal of Tamar, um, Rahab the prostitute, Ruth the immigrant, Bathsheba the adulterer. All the people that you think you would not want to mention in your family line. Matthew could have done a better job presenting it, but he doesn't. Why? Because he wants to show us that God is at work in the midst of mess, and he's come to redeem it. Now, you would think maybe God had sorted it out finally by the time we get to Mary and Joseph. Well, we read in Matthew 1, verse 18, that the mess just continues. It says, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about, verse 18. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her publicly and disgrace her. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. So Mary ends up pregnant before the wedding. And although the story happened 2,000 years ago, Joseph knew where babies came from. And it was a little bit hard to swallow that this was God's plan. I mean, it seems everything's gone wrong. Before Jesus is born, we're already knee-deep into mess. Suspicion, an illegitimate child, divorce, death sentence, shame, disgrace, poverty, exclusion, embarrassment. It started with mess, it continued with mess, and it ended with mess. What happened? If God's been so carefully planning this from even the start of the universe, what's gone wrong? Is he some sort of wedding planner that just got caught out by the mess of life and now all of a sudden is presented with all these issues that can't be resolved? No, God wants to show us that he didn't just come to empathize with our mess, he came to redeem it. And that's why all the stories of the Bible show mess and difficulty because God has come to be part of that. Now, I wonder whether perhaps it's time this Christmas for you to embrace a bit of your family dysfunction. Christmas has such great promise, doesn't it? But it always fails to deliver. We're always excited about sitting around a warm fire, having food with people we love, wonderful gifts to give to our children. And then we end up and it's Christmas, and then we find that it's not going to be that perfect. We've got the uncle who cracks all the inappropriate jokes 
doesn't shut up. We've got the, uh, the in-laws and the outlaws discussing political debates that we just rather skip. We've got the kids displaying their bad eating habits in front of our whole family. The sugar-infused arguments that just don't stop. There's a little dysfunction part of every Christmas celebration. Isn't there? Isn't there? Well, God has displayed this story for us to show us that we don't have to leave our dysfunction at the door when we come to Christmas. He has come to enter into our mess, into our lives, into our worlds, and he has come to redeem it. God has come to find you in the middle of it. So first of all, we've seen that Christmas started surprisingly early, that it involved some surprising people, and it also involves some surprising places. Because we can read about this in Matthew 2. It says that the Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem. Now, Bethlehem was not the epicenter of Israel. Um, It was like a small town. Um, And uh, we can read that the meaning of the the, the place um, is house of bread. But ironically, it was this place that Naomi had fled during a famine when there was no bread. And she went elsewhere. And then she comes back, but she comes back with the provision of God. A daughter-in-law, Ruth. And Ruth ends up becoming the grandmother of David. And then David was overlooked. He was born in Bethlehem, was overlooked by Samuel when he came to choose a king. But he would be God's provision for Israel. And in the same way, Jesus had come to become the provision for us, our provision. But when he came, everyone missed him. Because he was born in Bethlehem, a little town, a little place in a tumble-down stable where no one expected to find him. You may have found yourself in life at a surprising place. Most people I speak to at Peterborough um, haven't aspired to live in Peterborough for all their lives. They've just ended up being here. Um, Maybe you found yourself at a place of life where you had imagined life a little different. You wouldn't have imagined the place where you've ended up now. Perhaps um, you are widowed or divorced or lost your job or you lost the contact with your kids, you're in debt or you're ill or you're just going through the motions. And you kind of thought, well, this is not what I anticipated life to look like when I was 15. And I imagined what I would be like and what I would be doing when I'm older. Some of us are still waiting for that day. Um, But God is not faced by any of that. He's come to find you right where you are, in the situation you are. And he has come to find you in the most unlikely of places, maybe even. And he wants to show you that your life is not beyond redemption, that he has come to meet you in the middle of it. Now, how do we receive God's provision? We're going to jump to Luke chapter 1. So if you've got a Bible, if you flick through to the story of Luke chapter 1, we can find that it starts rather peculiar. It starts with an announcement, and it starts uh, with an angel coming to find Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist. Now, he was a priest. He was serving in the temple, and um, he meets an angel, and the angel gives him a promise that he would receive a child. The problem is that Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth had been wanting a child for a very long time, but that never happened. And now he was old and uh, didn't have any children. And we can see that Zechariah really struggles to receive the message that the angel brings. 
In uh, verse 18, we can read that Zechariah asks the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man. My wife is well along in years. And the angel says to him, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I've been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. Zechariah doesn't understand that if God speaks, it's pretty much done. He created the whole universe by speaking. But um, Zechariah comes with all these things, all these lists of impossibilities. This is why this is not going to work and this is why it's not going to work. And if you haven't done your biology, this is why it doesn't work. And the angel basically says to him, Shh. And he mutes Zechariah for nine months. Nine months. It's, it's quite peculiar. Have you ever read that story? Now, I was talking to uh, my daughter, Micah, and um, uh, she was saying that one thing that she really loved about homeschooling is that you could mute your teacher. <laughs> she said, just they blab on and on, and I could just press mute. And she said, the other day I was sitting in the class, I said, I just wish I still had that mute button. I could just mute the teacher for a little bit. Well, this is, this is what Gabriel does with Zechariah. Nine months. Some of you wish you could do that to your friends or your spouses. Nine months. Um, now, isn't it the same with us? We often come to God. God says, I've come to find you right in the mess of life. I've got a plan for your life. And here's all the promises. And we go, yes, God, but this is why it's probably not going to work with me. And this is why it probably doesn't work with me. And you've forgotten probably about this. And uh, uh, this has already happened. And this definitely will never happen. And before we know it, we come with a whole list of excuses why God could not use us. And God, to you, has one word. Shush. Be quiet. It says in Psalm 46 verse 10, be still and know that I am God. Gabriel doesn't go, well, this is why it's going to work and this is why it's going to work and this is why it's going to work. He says, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I've been sent to speak to you and tell you good news. This has got nothing to do with you. This has got everything to do with God. And God wants you to know that there's hope in your life, whatever place you found yourself. It's not dependent on you. When he speaks, it's as good as done. Now, how do we receive when God speaks? That's what we're going to find out in Mark chapter 1. So if you want to flick through there, the child to be born to Zechariah was John, and he came to prepare the way for Jesus. And it says in Mark chapter 1, verse 1, it says, The beginning of the good news written about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah, the prophet, says, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now, Mark starts off by quoting Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. And he tells what has been promised. There would be somebody who came and announced the good news of um, Jesus. But he then says, so John the Baptist appeared, quite matter-of-factly. We forget that there's 400 years between that promise and John the Baptist coming onto the scene. That is a long wait, isn't it? 400 years. 
It's the season where we get the Christmas calendars out and our girls are complaining that it just takes forever to get to Christmas. When is it going to be Christmas? It's not Christmas yet. Well, the good news for them, uh, I can tell them tomorrow, is it doesn't take 400 years before Christmas to arrive. But it did for the first people who heard that promise. And, so, and Isaiah gave that promise in a really bad time. And he says, uh, 40 chapters of bad news, really. And then we get to chapter 40, it changes. And there's some good news, some promises. But it would take 400 years for those promises to be fulfilled. And we can see that even when Jesus is born, it takes another 30 years before he starts his ministry. It just seems like God does things surprisingly slow. Isn't that frustrating? You kind of read scripture and you think, yes. And perhaps you've received Jesus into your life and you think, yes, now everything is going to be better. It's going to look greater. And then you find out it takes a long time. It takes a long time for God to work out his promises in our lives. Now, the way that he works out his promises is slow. And it involves a process called repentance. This is what John came to preach. He says he came to preach in the wilderness a baptism of repentance. He had came to straighten out the way. You see, in our lives, through all the distractions and the poor choices, um, God's roads into the purposes of our lives are filled with obstacles and holes. And most of the time we get stuck halfway through. And John said, I've come to preach a message of forgiveness and of repentance to straighten out that road. Now, the good news about Christmas is that God's not standing at the end of that road waiting for us to get our mess sorted out, seeing us remove obstacles and fill holes until we finally get our act together and come and find him. No, the story of Christmas is that God came to make a highway into our wilderness to find us where we're at, to bring us out, to come and find us where we're at. And this morning, Jesus has come and found you where you're at. Whether it's where you hope to be or whether you imagined yourself to be or not, he's come and found you where you are. And he wants to bring you into a relationship with him where together you can spend a lifetime of repentance, sorting out things, between you and God to remove obstacles so he can bring you into his purposes. And he has come to give us good news. He has come to show us that he really cares. From the beginning of time, God had a plan. And that plan involved you and it involved me. And God has not caught off guard by all the mess that has entered our lives since. God still has a surprising good plan for you and for me. And he's been working out that plan from the beginning of time. And he has not left you in the mess of it alone. He came to find you in the middle of it. You may find yourself an unlikely person, in an unlikely place, in an unlikely time. But God has come and found you. He silences all your objections and all your reasons of why this wouldn't work to come and bring you hope. He invites you into his peculiar family the church just look around isn't it amazing we are part of God's family not really the power family you imagine would change the world would you just look to the person next to you I think you'll be convinced quickly wouldn't you 
But we, the church, is the hope of the world. The local church is the hope of the world because it shows us that everyone has a place and everyone is in the purpose of God. His surprising plan is not a quick fix. It's not a quick turn. It's an adventure, a lifetime of an adventure. And he wants you to come and join that surprising plan. Do you want to be part of that surprising plan? Do you have faith that God can work surprising things in your life? Why don't we stand together? Father, thank you that you've come to find us where we are. It started with mess, it continued with mess, it ended with mess, but you're at work right in the midst of it to come and redeem it all. Thank you that nothing in our lives is beyond your grasp, beyond your redemption. We pray that you will come this morning and find us where we're at. Will you birth hope in our hearts? Lord, as we prepare for Christmas, that we would have more than gifts, more than decorations. Lord, that we will receive the light of life, the light of the world who shines into the darkness. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.